Show me, fill me, lead me. That's the prayer of my heart this morning and should be the prayer of all of our hearts today. Thank you for leading us in that, Pastor Ben. And it's good to see all of you here this morning. Thank you for being here. Welcome to those of you in the chapel and those online. We're delighted that you're with us as well. I hope you received a newsletter. I think it's been mentioned already. Uh, If you did not get a newsletter, you ought to to grab one of these. Um, I don't normally promote my articles, but you need to read what I wrote in here. And basically because we're talking about three services and, and we put that in context of our mission. It's the reason why we're doing it. It's our mission and vision and so uh, we talk about mission trips to the Sakur or to Guatemala or to Dominican Republic or to Thailand or wherever. I'm asking 100% of us to go on a mission beginning May the 27th. But the cool thing about this missions trip is the air condition is great. The food is what you normally have and you get to sleep in your own bed every night. Isn't that cool? But just think about it. If you decided that because... Because of the, the, the growth that we're experiencing, we need to add a service that I'll change my schedule just a little bit and go to service at a different time. And it'll make it a little less traditional or convenient than what I'm used to. And I know that, that the tendency is for us to say, well, why do they do it this? Why don't they do it at 1029 instead of 10 or whatever? That's the tendency. This is a missions trip. But the AC's good, the food's great, and you sleep in your own bed every night. Amen. And so we want you to go on a mission because here's the deal. There's people in this community that need the love of God. They need the love of Jesus and they need us to show it to them. And we can all huddle in here like we do each week and stay all tight-knit and close. But I'm challenging you to take this as a mission to say what does God want, what service does God want me to go to. And in doing so, we're basically going from from 530-some seats in our sanctuary to 801. And that expansion cost us zero dollars. Ain't that pretty cool? We just added 267 seats to our sanctuary for not, for not, without spending a dime. And it's going to allow us to continue to expand. Wednesday night, I hope you are here at 6.30. Uh, we're going to be doing a special presentation, talking some, uh, some uh, important stuff about multiply. So if you're engaged in any way or interested, I encourage you to be here on Wednesday night as we do that. We have been talking about Jesus over the past few weeks, trying to discover more and more about who he is, what he uh, teaches, and how he can uh, impact our lives. I believe the more you know about him, the more reason you have to love him and serve him and fear him and honor him and and respect him and adore him. And that is why I want to know more and more and more and more and more about Jesus. Amen. We have talked about his name shall be called Jesus, and he will save his people from his sins. We talked about his childhood, and at 12 years of age, he was about his father's business. We talked about when he turned the water into wine, uh, which I got a little sidetracked that Sunday, but it's all right. We recovered last week. Uh, Actually, I didn't get sidetracked. I meant to go there. But uh, last week, we talked about Jesus' passion. He was passionate about doing the Father's will, and he went everywhere in every city. He was passionate about the lost people in, his, in the world. And he was passionate that you and I join him in the, in the effort to spread the gospel and to, to share the gospel to every nation. And he said, would you pray earnestly with me? He was, he was passionate about these things. Jesus' ministry could essentially be uh, broken into two parts. And uh, uh, I want to give equal, equal treatment to both of those. 
Jesus' ministry is essentially divided into the part where he is doing powerful things. Powerful things like demonstrating the power of God over nature. Or demonstrating the power of God over sickness or leprosy or, or over being uh, crippled. And so he goes around, he heals people, he causes the blind to see, raises Lazarus from the dead. He does all of these magnificent, powerful things. If you read Matthew's gospel, which we're studying from today and, and have been uh, the last week or so. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Matthew says, Jesus went about all the cities teaching, but he also says he was healing diseases. In Matthew chapter 8 and 9, miracles and signs and wonders. In Matthew chapter 8 and 9, it is another demonstration of Jesus going around doing all these uh, powerful signs and wonders, which was a part of his ministry. Matthew decides, that the way he constructed his book, is you have Matthew 4, Matthew 8 and 9, which are demonstrations of the power of God in the life of Jesus. And in between that is the greatest sermon ever preached. There's no water into wine. There's no walking on water. There's no raising people from the dead. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And the other part of Jesus' ministry, besides the expression, the manifestation of the power of God, is the teaching that he gave us. And we dare not de-emphasize either one or overemphasize one to the lack of the other because sometimes we want to get all excited about all the miracles and the supernatural things that Jesus did and praise God he can still do anything he wants in a life to radically transform it. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. But we don't want to get hung up there. And what I mean by that is we don't want to fail to understand, and and some people just go that route, and then they fail to teach what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, which is is a well so deep I could never get it all on 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 morality and, and, and the philosophy of life. And he talks about hatred and divorce, and he talks about all of these amazing things, prayer and fasting and and. And sometimes we, we want to emphasize social justice over here on the Sermon on the Mount side to the neglect of the power of God's side. So what I want us to do in the course of studying Jesus in these weeks, I want us to spend some time not, not only talking about the power of God and the manifestation that he displayed, but I want, us, I want us to, if you really want to know his heart, you want to hear his teaching. I have no idea this morning, I said this at 8.30 and everybody gasped, so I'll, I'll say it again to make you gasp and then I'll explain it. Um, I have no idea how long this is going to go. Not this sermon. Not this sermon. But you can't, you know, once you go into the Sermon on the Mount, some of you are preachers and pastors have been here. Dave, how do you, how do you deal with the Sermon on the Mount without taking a three-year sermon series, literally? I said to Ben the other day, I said, oh man, this, you know, you might take it in chunks and then, I don't know, but, but I feel led to preach what I'm going to preach this morning. In the opening teaching of Jesus, in the opening words of this teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 5, 6, and 7 are his sermon on the mount, sitting on a mountain. We have what we know as, that are called the Beatitudes. You're probably familiar with those. In many ways, the Beatitudes have become the platitudes for a lot of life. It says in chapter 5, verse 1, I want to read those words, and we're going to just deal with sort of an oversight of the Beatitudes and get into the first one this morning. In chapter 5, verse 1 of Matthew, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom 
of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And there we have what are called the Beatitudes. You're familiar, probably familiar with those. You may have them on a plaque in your house. You've probably had them on a card somewhere, inspirational card. We've heard these Beatitudes ever since we were sitting in Sunday school, watching the lady put the flannel graph up on the board. Does anybody remember the flannel graph? That was the first HD back in the 70s. That was cool stuff, man. I kind of I was one of those mischievous kids that liked it when Joseph fell off on the floor. It was kind of cool, but anyways. We've all heard the beatitudes somewhere in our life. The scripture says that Jesus seeing the crowds, it's an interesting phrase. Last week it said he saw the crowds and he was moved with compassion on them. This week he sees the crowds and he goes up on a mountain and he sits down and he begins to teach teach The scripture says he began to teach his disciples, but we know that it wasn't just his disciples who were present because at the end of the sermon in Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, it says, when he finished saying these things, the crowd was amazed because he spoke as one who had authority, not as their own scribes. I said last week that Jesus uh, wasn't real popular with the religious leaders of his day because essentially after going in every church in their district or denomination, he looks at all the people and says, I feel sorry for these people, their pastor stinks. When he got done teaching the Sermon on the Mount, the people said, wow, this guy is preaching with authority unlike the guys that preach at my church. Jesus, is it any wonder that Jesus wasn't popular with the folks, the religious leaders of his day? But not more than that, Jesus was unpopular with, with those around him because of the teaching. If there had been Twitter in the day that Jesus lived, I'm certain that the disciples would have had the Beatitudes on their Twitter feed. They lay down, the, the, the Beatitudes lay down the foundation of the principles of the teaching of Jesus and the way that the kingdom of God would work. The term Beatitudes comes from a Latin word. It's not in the text itself. It later was added. comes from a Latin word meaning happiness or blessedness. The Beatitudes are the beginning of the sermon, of this sermon, which will introduce a new and better way than the system that the Jews had been accustomed to. I want to make something really clear this morning, and if you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. The Beatitudes are more than just cute sayings. The founda- these are foundational truths for the kingdom of God. And when Jesus was speaking these words, he wasn't, and, 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 
I said last week, sometimes our image of Jesus is a little bit distorted, and we have the view of this guy who speaks in sort of these soft, soft, lofty terms. His eyes are looking up, gazing into the heaven somewhere, and he's just saying things that sound so sweet and wonderful, and that is not what was going on. In, in, in many Western, our Western imagination, we say, we can just imagine Jesus saying, blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted, and everybody went, oh. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall... Oh, it just sounds so sweet, doesn't it? Can I tell you what Jesus was saying in the, in the Beatitudes when he began to lay down this truth? He was shocking the daylights out of the culture and the world in which he lived. And I think if we are to understand the teaching of Jesus, he might just shock the daylights out of us. They're not just cute sayings. Jesus was not trying to put, give us more material for our Lifeway Christian plaque. He was, he was introducing a radical and new way of experiencing the blessing of God in the kingdom of God. Someone said Jesus was not dropping nice quotes. He was dropping grenades on the worldview of both the Jew and the Romans. Byron Yon says, these are not platitudes, they are bombshells to the people who were listening. The, the Roman worldview was shaped by their, by their desire for military and political dominance. And if you were blessed by the gods in Rome, that meant that they gave you might and strength and money and power and you conquered and crushed people because the gods are blessing us. In the Jewish world, their worldview was shaped by their arrogant religious perspective. After all, they were children of Abraham. They were scrupulous about their law that had been passed down to them. They had a rich heritage of supernatural stories on their behalf. And they knew that the Jehovah God was the true God and He was on their side and He could always bail them out. They knew because of their religious practice. They knew because of their religious system. And they knew because of their DNA. They were blessed by God. And the Romans and the Jews were there. And undoubtedly there was some Greek thought around. And the Greeks were impressed with their intellect and their knowledge and their wisdom. And Jesus begins to teach this rabbi who's going around healing people and doing all of these amazing things. And he begins to teach the way of the kingdom of God. He says, I want to tell you how to be blessed. I want to tell you who gets the kingdom. And the Romans say, I know who gets the kingdom. The strong and the mighty. And the, and the, and the Jews say, I know who gets the kingdom. Those who have DNA from Abraham and those who have Jehovah as their God. We get the kingdom because we are right. And the Greeks would say, we know who gets the kingdom. It's the thinkers and the philosophers and it's the intellectuals. And Jesus said, I got an idea for you. Blessed, the one who will have favor from God are those who are poor. And all of a sudden, the worldviews of the Romans and the Greeks and the Jews are turned on their Head. And from his opening teaching, Jesus begins to challenge the world that he lived in. In verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. They get the kingdom of God. I imagine, I imagine it was kind of like an award ceremony. 
the Romans, the, G, the, the Jews probably had a sense a little bit like an award ceremony where you are just sure you're valedictorian. Well, you probably know beforehand, but you're just sure you're the winner. And you're kind of scooting out on the edge of your seat because you just know this is you. And Jesus said, guess who gets the kingdom? And the Romans go, well, it's our turn. Here we go. And the Jews get up on the edge. No, we're going to be the, we get the, we're the children of Abraham. We get the kingdom. And Jesus said, none of you get the kingdom. I'll tell you who get the kingdom. Anyone who is poor, who is a beggar in their spirit. And the Jews and the Romans and whoever else was there were shaking their head going, what in the world is going on? Let's talk about two words this morning. Let's talk about what it means to be blessed. And let's talk about what it means to be poor. In the definition, in these verses, Jesus gives us the definition of the blessed life. You know, the ultimate desire of every human heart is to be blessed. It's why people play the lottery. Right? Because we're trying to bless ourselves. And then we ask the Lord to give us the numbers so that he can bless us, right? Don't, don't, you laugh there because you've done that. Uh, it's the ultimate aim. Pascal said, everyone wants to be happy, even he who hangs himself. We're all looking for happiness. We're looking to be blessed. It's the, it's the desire of every human heart. Everyone longs to experience the goodness of God in their life, which will produce a state of contentment that cannot be found in this world. In some translations, the Beatitudes are translated happy, and there are scholars greater than I who, who, who do that. But in my best study of, of this passage over the past few days, happy is not a, happy is not a, at least not a complete description of what blessed means in these words. Happy has a little bit more to do with the shallow, superficial, surfacey feelings that we might have. It actually comes from a word that, that almost has a sense of luck to it. Happy is, is, is a part of that, but it's not adequate or complete in my mind. The word that is translated blessed over and over and over in this list of scripture that we read this morning, it is a word that means to become long or large. It properly means that when, when, when God extends his long, large hand of grace in your life. It's a word that means, it describes rather a believer that is in an enviable or fortunate position because they have received of God's provision and favor. It literally means to extend, to make long. You've heard of the long arm of the law, right? Well, this is a word that means that that the long, gracious, favorable hand of God is upon your life. I don't know anybody that doesn't want the hand of God's favor resting upon your life. I don't know anyone this morning. And I'm not here preaching health and wealth. I'm preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And the first, ver- the first beatitude is about poverty. I'm talking about what does it take for us today to experience the blessing of life to experience the favor, the full favor of God in our life. The Greeks called the island of Cyprus the happy island. They believed that because of its geographical location, perfect climate and fertile soil, that anyone who lived on Cyprus had it made. 
And the term they associated with the island was the Greek word that is used here for blessed. It's makarios. They said, if you live on the island of Cyprus, you, are, you have the full favor of the gods. They are really looking out for you. Well, we all can't live on the island of Cyprus, but there is this idea that God has something in His will and in His blessing and in His grace that is self-contained through the gracious blessing of God on our life. Meaning that regardless of what is happening to us externally, we can truly be happily happy on the inside. Blessed means the person is living under the full favor of God which produces in them a deep sense of joy and contentment that is not dependent upon the world around them. I don't know anybody that doesn't want to live under the full favor of God Almighty. Jesus comes, the Son of God. He enters into this world. He begins to perform miracles and do signs and wonders. And he sits down on a mountain and his disciples are in a circle around. There's two concentric circles. The disciples were here and the crowd was gathered around. And Jesus began to teach. And he said, I want to begin by telling you who gets the kingdom of heaven. And everybody listens. Who gets the kingdom of heaven? Who gets the full favor of God? And Jesus begins to describe to them things that are antithetical to all of their worldviews. But they all wanted the full favor of God. Just like everybody here this morning, don't we all want the full favor and blessing of God on our life? In this list of eight characteristics, this is where it gets a bit crazy. Jesus describes a kind of person that is blessed, which is where he goes contrary to the thinking of the ones who are listening. I want you to notice his, what, what, I, what I'm calling just the entrance into the blessed life. The entrance into this blessed life. He said, blessed the ones who have the full favor of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor. Now wait a minute. The poor in spirit, Jesus. You see, you see, in the ancient Greek times, they used to say that only the gods were blessed. Because they were outside of this world and they had achieved a life beyond all human life, and they were blessed. And then it morphed, that word blessed kind of morphed into saying, well, those who have died are blessed because they've also escaped this life. So if you're dead and you're with the gods, then then you're blessed. And then it morphed again, and it became those who are rich and those who have a lot of money and those who live above through their wealth and their prosperity, those who live above the problems of this life, they are blessed. And then in the Old Testament, it sort of took on a meaning where it said, those who do right things are blessed. And all of those who do right things, God will give them a, 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 a good crops and a, and a good family and healthy children and riches and honor and wisdom. A blessed person had, to, had, to, uh, had, had more things and better things because they did right things and that was better than the ordinary person. And in a, in a way, that's sort of the way the word termed. And all of a sudden, Jesus takes that word that meant the gods are blessed or the dead are blessed or the rich are blessed or those who do right things are blessed. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to tell you who's really blessed. And that is those who are beggars in their spirit before God. Jesus changes the whole perspective on what it means to have the favor of God. It is the humble who are mighty in the kingdom that Jesus is speaking of. It is the humble who are mighty. And if there's anything that I want you to hear this morning. If there's really one thing I want you to hear. It's, the, the word poor in spirit. It just simply means. It means one who crouches and cowers like a beggar. It means, it means the one who comes and approaches God like this. Oh God. 
It's not my might. It's not my wealth. It's not my fame. It's not my power. It's not my religion. It's not my parents, my grandparents. It's not my ancestry. But oh God, I need you in my life desperately. The one who crouches like a beggar before God and says, oh God, without you I can do nothing. Oh God, my children need you. Oh God, my marriage needs you. Oh God, the sin that's in my life. I don't know how to manage this. Lord God, I need you. And Jesus establishes principle number one for entering the kingdom of heaven. And that is utter humility and poverty and brokenness before God Almighty. If you go back in the Bible and throughout church history, you find men and women who did mighty things for the kingdom of God. And you'll find men and women who were poor in spirit. Church, if there's anything I can petition of us this morning, and this, this, is, this is as simple as it gets, I'm just petitioning us this morning to be men and women who stay humble before God. Let us as leadership stay humble before God. With one another, let's stay humble before God. Because Jesus said the entrance, the entrance into the kingdom of God is for you to be broken in spirit. David said a broken and a contrite heart God will never despise. You look at Moses, he was broken. You look at Abraham, he was broken. You look at David, he was broken. You look at Peter, he was broken. You look at Paul, he was broken. You look at the men and the women that God has used throughout the history of the church and it's men and women who are not filled with pride and arrogance. It's not men and women who had to strengthen their their image or their self-esteem. It was men and women who fell on their face before God and said, oh God, I need you desperately. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they get the kingdom. As, the, as those righteous and religious Jews were sitting around straightening their robes and fixing, fixing their tassels and, 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 and listening to this, Jesus somehow began to peel away their righteous garments and he began to reveal to them that on the inside, outside they were all glorious and manifesting all of this greatness. But as he began to peel away their righteousness, he began to show them in their own heart that they were desperate. Whether or not they would posture themselves before him was another matter. But regardless of that, Jesus was revealing that the heart, that in their heart they had problems that they could not solve. And only those who acknowledge it and fall before for Jesus are the ones who get the kingdom. You gotta be you gotta be poor, poor in spirit. You may know the name William Carey, the father of missions. He died in 1834. Before he died, he took a simple tablet and he wrote on this tablet, I want these words on my gravestone. William Carey persevered in ministry for 40 years. He suffered from recurrent fever. He limped for years from an injury that he sustained in 1817. But during his ministry, he put the Bible into six languages. And part of the Bible he put into 29 other languages. He's called the father of modern missions. What was the secret of this man's usefulness and productivity in the kingdom? If you were to go to his gravestone today, this is what you would read. The note that he wrote on that tablet, which is on his gravestone. He wrote, William Carey, born August 17th, 1761, died June the 9th, 1834. A wretched, poor, and helpless worm. 
On thy kind arms I fall. William Carey was poor in spirit. But he got the kingdom. He had the favor, the full favor of God on his life. A Jewish rabbi once said, a story of an old Jewish rabbi. He said, in olden days there were men who saw the face of God. And someone said, why don't we see his face anymore? A young student asked. He said, because nowadays no one stoops that low. Jesus begins by telling us how we enter into the kingdom of God. Blessed, the ones who will get the full favor of the Almighty. Blessed are the ones who are broken, who are poor, who are needy, who are saying, oh God, I desperately need you. You show me a person that is in that posture and I'll show you a man or woman that God will bless and use and God will use in a mighty way. Did you know that today Jesus is speaking bombshells? We're not Romans and we're not Jews and we're not Greeks. But we have our own way of being blessed and successful. We have our own way of inheriting the kingdom and attaining everything that we want. And it's just like the Romans or the Greeks or the Jews. But Jesus is dropping bombshells. And when we read, when we read the Beatitudes, it's so sweet and nice and it rolls so easily off your tongue. Blessed are the blessed are the blessed. It sounds so sweet. It sounds so Sunday school, flannel graph, life way. But right there in the very first beatitude, Jesus is confronting. He's confronting our own heart. And he's confronting our own way of life. Not our own life way. And that is, will you be poor in spirit? What then is poverty of the spirit? Poverty of the spirit is a sense of powerlessness in ourselves. It's a recognition that God has power that I do not have. And that I am desperately dependent upon Him. It is a sense of helplessness before God. It is a sense of moral uncleanness before God. It is a sense of personal unworthiness before God. It is a sense that if there is to be any life or joy or usefulness, it will have to be all God and all of grace. And it is the humbling of ourselves before God in full recognition of our need of Him. You see, these people must have been in shock. Jesus is introducing a whole different economy. In the economy of the kingdom of God, this is what Jesus says. To be great, you must be weak. To win, you must lose. To gain, you must surrender. And to live, you must die. This is the economy of the kingdom of God. I want to say this in closing, and, and you're grateful, and so am I, that I'm not preaching all eight of these Beatitudes in one Sunday. You can't do it. But I want to close with this thought. The Beatitudes, the eight Beatitudes that are listed, the, the Beatitudes are a connected chain, not isolated characteristics. You get that? They're, they're a connected chain, not isolated. In other words, you know, I could say, well, you know what, I'll let, I'll let Brad have the poor in spirit, and Daryl, you can have the morning. I don't like morning anyways. Uh, and I'll take the pure in heart. No, these are not isolated characteristics that we choose from and try to improve on. You see, Jesus actually gives us the poverty and the brokenness of our spirit is the 
introduction into the kingdom. And when we are there, the real, this realization produces within us a mourning over our spiritual condition. This condition of mourning over our own spiritual condition produces a meekness or an openness. When we are meek and open, in turn there is produced within us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And at this stage, the person becomes a testimony of the mercy of God, which produces purity in our heart from which the person sees God. And the purity of heart brings peace with God. And when we're at peace with God, we become a messenger of God's peace. And when we become a messenger of God's peace, the world persecutes us. It's a connected chain. You get in at the beginning. You don't get in halfway through. You get in at the poor in spirit. And then God develops and molds. And the promises of the promises of the Beatitudes are that you will be persecuted. But Jesus says about the last Beatitude, the same he says about the first. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's an assurance. And then the last one he gives us an assurance. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Both of them are the same. And then in the middle, there are six promises. Blessed are the, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus says throughout this, this promise, this, this assurance that the kingdom of God is had by those who come helpless, dependent, humble, seeking after God. Amen? Oh God, give us a baptism. Give us a baptism of poverty in our spirit. Amen. Amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at Eastlake SML. Thanks for joining us.